Uh, good morning and thank you for your welcome uh, this morning to Helen and I and the opportunity to be with you today. So please open uh, up against that passage that we read earlier from uh, John chapter 21 and let me pray for us again as we begin. <coughs> Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from you, from your mouth. And we pray that you would be speaking uh, today uh, through me. We pray, Lord, that you would use a man of unclean lips, one who has been atoned for by uh, the blood of your son, Jesus, in order to proclaim your word. Would your strength be shown in my weakness Would you be with us in our weakness as we all hear from your word? Would you alone be glorified and would you build us up here today? In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I want you to think about uh, this question as as we start. How do you know if an event or a series of events are true? Well, if you're anything like me, you want to see some kind of evidence. Uh, Nowadays, if if you don't have the benefit of CCTV... Uh, you weren't an eyewitness, or even better, a number of eyewitnesses. Uh, that's how we see uh, a law of court function, isn't it? Uh, key witnesses are called to, to stand and be examined. They're quizzed about what they saw and how certain uh, they are that they really saw it. Uh, the key thing is that we want to get at the truth. We want to know exactly what happened. We want the reliable, true testimony. And in a court of law, for there to be a conviction, there must not only be this reliable testimony, but a sufficient testimony. One where there's enough evidence uh, for us to make a a decision beyond all reasonable doubt either way. And that's what we have here with, with the Bible and with the Easter story. We have reliable eyewitness testimonies that match up. We have so much evidence for it that we have sufficient testimony to know what happened and to make a decision about those events for ourselves. Now, if you were here last week uh, for Easter Sunday, in both the morning and the evening, Chris uh, began to take us through John's account of Jesus appearing to his followers after his resurrection. Now, listening online, I I found it helpful how uh, Chris labelled the different individuals. So if you remember in chapter 20, we had John the Quick, uh, quick to realise and believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Uh, We had Mary the confused. They have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And then closing off chapter 20, we had Thomas the skeptic. Unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Well, we'll come back to that thought again a little bit later this morning. But this morning we'll see another of Jesus' followers, close followers, Peter. who Chris called Peter the backslider. Uh, we see him here in chapter 21. Now, Peter's somewhat of a, of a leader. Uh, we see him in verse 3 here. Uh, he tells six of the other disciples, I'm going fishing. And the others just decide to go with him. Uh, but despite going out onto the water all night, they, they can't catch anything. Uh, but something much more significant is about to happen that day. If you look at verse 14, uh, John tells us this will be the third time that Jesus reveals himself to his closest disciples since he was raised from the dead. Uh, Verse 4, the day's breaking, Uh, Jesus appears on the the shoreline, but the disciples don't realise it's Jesus. We're we're later told in the account that the disciples are about 
a hundred yards away from the shoreline. And Jesus calls to them there in verse 4, children, do you have any fish? And they answer that they don't. And somewhat surprisingly to, to a man they think is just a stranger, they uh, obey when he tells them to cast the net on the other side. Uh, verse 6, we see that they do that. But due to the huge quantity of fish, they're unable to pull it in. And so they're reminded of an earlier miracle in Jesus' ministry where they cast the net on the other side at his suggestion and they pulled in so many fish that day that their fish began to sink. Uh, And it's this that John kind of recalls at this moment. In verse 7, he realises this connection. It is the Lord, he cries out. And the disciples, they sail back in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Uh, But that's not quick enough for Peter. Peter, if we uh, go through the gospel accounts, he seems like quite an impulsive guy. Uh, he's off. As soon as he hears this is the Lord, well, he at least makes himself decent by putting on his outer garment. But in verse 7 there, he's like a greyhound out the traps. He's straight into the sea uh, and he swims back to shore. Uh, but who is uh, Peter? Well, Peter's the, the closest follower of Jesus. Uh, we read in the other gospel accounts that he was the first to realise that Jesus uh, was the Christ. That is, that Jesus was God's chosen one. The one that God had promised would come to rescue his people. And as Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said that it was on his confession, on Peter's confession, on Peter, that his church would be built. But here's the thing, in John's Gospel, before Jesus' death and resurrection, when's the last time we explicitly are told about Peter? Well, it's when uh, Jesus has just been arrested and he's on trial. And three times Peter is asked if he knows Jesus, if he's one of his followers. And three times Peter denies him. So humanly speaking, an hour of great need for Jesus. And his closest friend abandoned him. And he did so so publicly. Now we know from elsewhere in the Bible that uh, Jesus uh, did appear to Peter and the the apostles before this time. And he came to them in John chapter 20 saying, peace be with you. So we know Jesus has forgiven them already for abandoning him. He didn't come back from his resurrection in anger with them. He'd forgiven each one of them from scattering away from him as he'd been led away. But an accusation could still come at Peter, couldn't it? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead now. Uh, he's alive forevermore. He's, he's just about to ascend to heaven uh, where he is right now until one day he returns to judge the living and the dead and to make all things new. But until that day, he leaves his church built on the foundation of the apostles. So Peter here, along with the other apostles, will be the ones who established Jesus' church here on the earth. And unfairly, unbelievers could say, well, why should we listen to Peter? Perhaps they may even query whether he's qualified to be one of Christ's leaders. I mean, does Jesus really want him to be a leader of the church? Someone who is a denier of him at his trial? And as Peter denied Jesus three times, uh, he was in his faith what some people would call uh, backsliding. Uh, Peter himself was distraught, no doubt he wondered, how can I be forgiven of this? And so often we feel that feeling, don't we? When we really mess up, perhaps we've committed that sin again. We've repented of it time and time again. We've said sorry. We've resolved not to sin against Jesus in the same way. And yet, here we are, we've fallen again. 
Or perhaps it's not in what we do, but in what we have failed to do. Perhaps like Peter, we've too buckled under the pressure of what others think about us. How they might treat us for standing up for Jesus or just being identified with him. Uh, Perhaps it's at work where others might tease you about being a Christian or being holier than thou. Uh, Perhaps it's within your own family, perhaps even from your own spouse. Perhaps it's from neighbours. You seem a respectable, intelligent person. You're not really one of those uh, Christians, are you? One of those followers of Jesus. You don't really believe all that, do you? Perhaps there are moments when that you can think of when you didn't really stand up for Jesus. You didn't really identify him. Perhaps there's a time when you feel you should have said something, but you just didn't. Well, wonderfully, Jesus' thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And wonderfully, there's full forgiveness and restoration for anyone and everyone who turns to him in faith. And we are forgiven in those moments. That's certainly what we see of Peter here as we witness Jesus' interaction with him. Uh, so the disciples, they've just, got, they've just made it to land. Uh, and verse 9, uh, Jesus has laid out a charcoal fire. He tells them to, to bring the fish. And so in verse 11, Peter hauls this net of fish. And we see Jesus provide for them miraculously again. Our mind is taken back to when he fed the 5,000. All his followers were worn out. And just again here, his followers are worn out after a night of fishing. But again, Jesus miraculously provides for them. And then here in verses 15 to 17, we get this interaction with Jesus and Peter. So let me read those verses for us again. In verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's just back up for a moment and imagine the scene. It's early morning. They're all sat around, these disciples having their breakfast in front of the fire. And they're witness uh, this questioning of Peter by Jesus. Let's back right up again to, to verse 9. As we're told, they're sat around a charcoal fire. Now, I don't know if you're a stickler for detail, but John doesn't waste words in his gospel. Why are we not just told that they're sat around a fire? Why are we specifically told it is a charcoal fire? Uh, And why does Jesus choose to make a charcoal fire uh, and not one just made of just plain straight wood that he finds on the shore or something? And why does John... Keep asking Peter if he loves him. Well, turn with me in your Bible, just back a page or so, to uh, John chapter 18. And we'll revisit the point in time where Jesus has just been arrested and put on trial. So John chapter 18, uh, read with me verse 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. So that's the first time that Peter denies Jesus right. But, that, but then what do we read? Verse 18. 
Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming themselves. So we're told that Peter's there by a charcoal fire. Let's read on, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. So Peter denies Jesus a second time. And then we get verse 26. Uh, One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a cock crowed. So again, whilst by the charcoal fire, Peter denies Jesus for a third time. So as we go back to chapter 21... What's going on here with Jesus and Peter? Peter gets grieved because Jesus asks him a third time, do you love me? But why all the questions? What's going on? Well, Jesus is publicly reinstating Peter for everyone, everyone's benefit, everyone else's benefit as well as Peter's. Jesus, if you like, he recreates the scene at which Peter had denied him three times. And whilst Peter had denied Jesus three times by a charcoal fire here, by a charcoal fire, a repentant Peter reaffirms and redeclares his love for Jesus. Peter is completely forgiven by Jesus. Uh, and here in this passage, he's even entrusted to look after his church, his sheep. Why? What happened in between? What's happened in between these two charcoal fires in John's Gospel? What's happened between the charcoal fire in chapter 18 and the charcoal fire in chapter 21? Well, what's happened is Christ's death and resurrection. In John chapter 19, Jesus, as he dies, he says, it is finished. That is, uh, the death of Peter's sin and the sin of all who trust in Jesus has been paid for at the cross. It is finished. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection has secured for all believers it secured us from an eternal death. It brings us full peace with God, full forgiveness, an unconditional forgiveness. Uh, Peter here, he, he doesn't have to do anything uh, to earn back his forgiveness for what he's done. Uh, and the truth is, he never could. Uh, he denied Jesus. He refused to be identified with Jesus, the Son of God. There's no way that he can make up for this through any of his own efforts. But he doesn't need to. Uh, Peter's... Uh, recognised his sin, he's, he's repentant. Uh, and Peter, no matter how flawed he is, he does love Jesus. He has turned back to him in faith. But Peter has full forgiveness and restoration because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now perhaps you're here this morning and, and you fear that you've gone uh, too far, that you've messed up in a way so badly that Jesus can't possibly forgive you. Or that you've messed up too many times and perhaps this latest time is one too many. Well, listen again to God's word this morning that those who turn and believe in Jesus have full forgiveness and acceptance with him because of his death and resurrection on your behalf. If that is you this morning and you are trusting in Jesus, you are, you are completely forgiven and restored. And as John writes this testimony here, this eyewitness account, he wants you and I to really know this. He's open about why he's writing this whole gospel. So look at chapter 20, verse 31 for a moment. 
he, he says that these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the call is for all those who realise they've messed up big time before God. The call is for all, like Peter, who know they can't make up for what they've done, to turn to Jesus Christ and to believe in him, to trust in his death and resurrection. That it's enough, that it's sufficient, that it's finished. That all our sin has been dealt with at the cross. And in doing so, Jesus says we have eternal life in his name. But to rewind again to last week, what did we see with Thomas? Thomas said that he would not believe unless he physically saw Jesus in front of him. And as Chris explained last week, that though our our faith is reasonable, whilst we're encouraged to investigate rationally, uh, Jesus claims the reliability, the, the evidence around Jesus, ultimately we don't need to see Jesus in front of us now in the same way that Thomas did. As Chris explained last week, we're in a a far better situation now than Thomas. We have God's complete written word in our own language that testifies to Christ's death and resurrection and what it means for us. God has given us all that we need to turn in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ. John's gospel itself uh, gives enough for anyone to turn to Jesus. So read with me chapter 21 and verse 24, this is what is written in John's Gospel. This is the disciple, John, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In John's Gospel and in the whole of Scripture, God has given us a true testimony of his son, the Lord Jesus. If all the things that Jesus ever did were to be written down, the world could not contain the number of books. But in truth, we don't need that many books. We just need this one book here, the Bible. A collection of 66 books, a collection of God's own word, a revelation of himself that he's given to mankind. It's without error, it's true, it's trustworthy, it's sufficient. It's sufficient to come to a knowledge of our creator God and it's sufficient to know him as our saviour. Sufficient for us to have life in his name. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know that eternal life for yourself, I'd encourage you to turn and trust in Jesus today. Uh, Believe and have life in his name. Speak to one of us here afterwards. We can explain more. Uh, But read his word more for yourself. Keep coming back, hearing God's word because it's sufficient for you to be able to believe and receive life in Jesus' name. So we've seen this morning that that Peter's been forgiven, that has been publicly restored by Jesus. Uh, We see just how great God is, just how gracious and and patient Jesus is with sinners like Peter and with sinners like you and me. Uh, But that's not all. Uh, Because Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters despite... Our sin. He's certainly not ashamed to call Peter his brother either. Because what's more, as well as restoring Peter, Jesus gives him an important responsibility. Jesus tells Peter to feed and tend to his sheep. That is, uh, Peter is to spiritually feed believers, God's sheep, with God's word. uh, And he's to care for God's believers 
God's sheep also. Uh, and that's a massive responsibility, but that's what Jesus calls Peter and other shepherds. We uh, call them pastors or elders, the word's interchangeable really. It's the job of pastors or elders to feed God's church with the word of God, to pastorally uh, care for and oversee them. Uh, but not many people like authority. And often today we, we see people uh, all the time, even in the public news, uh, abuse their authority. And people don't like uh, authority stru- uh, structures. For some people they don't like the idea of some kind of authority structure within a church. Uh, there is a, a problem, yes, with the way that people have misused authority in the past. But that's the problem, the way that people have misused it. The problem is not with authority itself. And at the end of the day, the church belongs to Jesus. And he has given an authority to pastors to oversee his flock. And he calls all of us believers to submit to their leaders in the faith where those pastors are leading according to his word. Christ's uh, design for his church is designed for believers. It's to grow and endure in eternal, uh, to eternal life. And that is through uh, his local church, to be part of a local church where Elders exercise a spiritual oversight of them, where his elders feed his people with the word of God and care for them according to his word also. This is Christ's design for us. And it's also a high calling for those of us who are elders. If we really love Jesus, are we taking seriously his charge for us to care and feed his sheep faithfully? But here's the big thing, the authority is not in us, it's in God's word. As elders, we have uh, no authority over God's sheep other than his word. So you are not (laughs) obliged to submit to a pastor where they are telling you to take an action that is contrary to God's word, or in areas that are not clearly directed by God's word. But where elders are are faithfully calling you uh, to obey God's word, where they're seeking to shepherd you according to God's word and his will and his uh, leading, uh, there as believers we are called to submit. Uh, The charge to Peter and to all elders here is to shepherd Christ's sheep. And and how do we see that done in this passage? It's by feeding and tending. Uh, But feeding and tending with what? Well, it's with his word, with the testimony, testimony about him about who he is, what he has done for us, and what he calls us to live now. This is a true and sufficient testimony for all of us to believe and to continue on believing, to to continue on following, because this is the testimony that leads us on to eternal life in his name. Uh, We follow Christ's design for his church. Uh, We submit to elders who one day will have to give an account to him on the final day. As they shepherd us and feed us with God's word. And as that happens, we will be shepherded along the way to be at home with Jesus. We can expect to see a gradual growth in our lives that is actually just the fruit of a genuine and continued faith and repentance. And here we see that with Peter. We see with Peter here, we know there's a full forgiveness because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even for those who might think that they've backslid too much or are too far away from forgiveness. But also we know that just in in Peter's life, uh, continued and genuine belief in Jesus, it results in a truly changed life. 
It demonstrates a true discipleship as those who have taken up their cross and follow him. Well, how do we see that here with Peter? Uh, We know, don't we, that Peter denied Jesus those three times. But that wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew it would happen. He even told Peter that it would happen beforehand. So come back with me uh, for a moment to John chapter 13. Uh, And Jesus is at the Last Supper here. Uh, Judas has just gone out to betray him and he's speaking of his death. Jesus is speaking of his death and he says that he won't be with them very much longer. And in verse 36, Peter says this. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him. Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. (coughs) Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the cock will not crow till you have denied me three times. Uh, Peter effectively says he will follow right behind Jesus in the path of the cross. Verse 37, I will even lay down my life for you, says Peter. And Jesus replies by foretelling to Peter what we know now. Uh, that ultimately, Peter wasn't prepared to take that step. When challenged, uh, not by the Roman authorities, but by a servant girl, Peter wasn't prepared to be identified with Jesus. He wasn't prepared to go to the cross, to literally take up his cross and follow Jesus to Golgotha. Now, Peter loved Jesus. He wanted to share in the same lot as Jesus. But in that moment, he, he backslid, he rejected Jesus. Uh, But since that moment he'd repented, he'd turned from what he had done and we've already seen this morning how he's forgiven and he was publicly restored just out of Jesus' sheer grace. But look at what happens as we turn back to chapter 21. Jesus says this to Peter in verse 18 after this public restoration. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he, Jesus, said to show by what kind of death he, that's Peter, was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter had wanted to follow Jesus, but in a moment of unbelief, he didn't. But following his repentance, we are told that he really did follow Jesus. Jesus tells him in verse 18, he would go where he doesn't want to go. He'd have his hands stretched out, and that's a way that people spoke about crucifixion back then. In verse 19, we're told that in this way, Peter's death would glorify God. You see, we're told here, that a day would come when Peter would have another charcoal fire moment, if you like. But in that moment, rather than deny Jesus this time, he would be prepared to literally go to a Roman cross, as he said he would back in chapter 13. There's a change in Peter following Christ's death, resurrection, his ascension and his pouring out of his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In time, we would see this fullness of the fruits of Peter's faith and repentance as he followed 
Jesus' footsteps to a Roman cross. But that change, it didn't happen overnight. For Peter, it happened a number of years later on, even from this uh, story, this account. And that change didn't happen because uh, Peter was great, or is there was any greatness in or of himself. It happened because Christ worked powerfully in him by his word and through his spirit. Now for us, we have God's word, his true and sufficient word. And it's through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit as that word is applied to our hearts that we believe and continue to have eternal life in his name. It's through his word, by the means of faithful preaching of his under-shepherds, that we are fed and cared for, that we are shepherded through our lives. And it's through his word that we will be shepherded to realise the fullness of our salvation, displaying along the way a genuine fruit of faith and repentance. Now these things, God's word has been written for you and has been preserved for you for centuries, that you may believe in Jesus, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you would have eternal life in his name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have, we have your word, that it is without error, that it is true, reliable, and altogether sufficient. It's sufficient for us now as we uh, live our earthly lives. We pray, Lord, that uh, by your spirit you would apply it to our hearts, that we would encourage one another on in the faith. We pray, Lord, for pastors and elders across the land to faithfully preach your word, to feed and tend uh, for your sheep. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we can trust in you, we know we can trust in you as the good shepherd who will not lose any of his sheep. We pray, Lord, that you would build up your church here at Bethel and Notley. We pray, Lord, that as we are fed by your words, that we would grow in Christ-likeness. And in our lives and in our deaths, we will glorify you. Amen.